0: Kos, the scientist, on the Science vs. Spoke show. The title of episode three is "Punching Down." So you know we're going to dive right in. Slim Thug, who I'm a big fan of, you know he has an amazing story as a entrepreneurial artist. You know he put out Hip Hop Fatwa, where he is chastising black hip hop artists. As being dumb, as we're the only people out there who are doing this dumb shit, you know? So he has his masters, but of course he has a different business model than most other artists. He has a different business model than a lot of other artists out there, but you know, he chastises the artists for selling their masters. And so we're going to go to this clip and then of course we're going to dive right in.
1: And I'm gonna just uh, live off of that, but I'm gonna flip it a thousand times. That's the only way you should be getting a major record deal, because them folks is sticking y'all. At. <laughs> Unless you' down with Pride Month, you need to not do that. <laughs> you need to think like a businessman for one small second. What business do you have to get sell them your business, and they give you crumbs off your business, man? Come on, man, where we do this at? We don't do this. Nobody does this but our dummies. We the only dummies who doing this. We the only dummies who doing this. And it's embarrassing to out here really get some money and owning this to see them keep out over and over and over again. And, and it's more embarrassing to see successful men keep co-siding like, yeah, man, I just put my out there. I don't want to hear no if you, I don't care if you own a fucking Rolls Royce if you don't own your masters. Not that you ain't a real boss because you needed to go get a loan from somebody. You ain't a real baller because you had to go get help from people. If, so don't talk no boss balling to me if you don't own yourself. Like, it starts there. Owning yourself is more important than owning that chain, owning that house, owning that car, on any of that. Sh- so you cannot come cap to me about none of that sh- if you not own, own yourself. You feel me? And that's what you need to stand on as a man, what the history did. I mean, what everybody else did. Everybody did dumb. Sh- it's hard to say it, but we keep, we, we everybody did dumb, sh- seen dumb sh- get done, and thought dumb, dumb was the way to go and kept doing dumb sh- yeah. And even like Master P, look like they falling on hard times these days. After all them years of making it, after being the, the guy he was, cause he don't own his. Shit. Everybody is fucking crazy. Who had? Who was the? Come on, man. Like, come on, bro. I'm tired of seeing heroes sell their masters and then on TV. You know what I'm saying? Like, dang, you shouldn't even have to do all that, kid. You shouldn't even have to be all that, bro. Like, y'all on here still trying to do this because y'all just keep trying to sell a like lot sh- up to them people and let them keep getting paid off of it. Like, what the f- is y'all doing, man? Stop selling out, man. Stop f- selling out. Tyler Perry. Tyler
0: Perry. Look at- so you heard Slim Thug himself, his words, you know, some of the things he said... What other business in the world do you have to be in to sell your business to make money? If you, you know, own a chicken fillet, you know how are you going to sell that chicken fillet franchise? Another thing he says is you can't be a businessman if you think that makes sense. If you think that is decent, are we the only dummies who are doing this? He doesn't want to see any successful men, successful men co-signing, selling the masters. He also says, this is embarrassing for black people, selling your masters, your, you know, your ownership of your songs. He says, everyone is doing dumb shit. And so he says a lot of smart things, right? Hold on to your asset forever. You know, just let it earn money over a long period of time. And black people specifically are doing all this dumb shit. So is that scientific? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, you know, right at the gate, there's a lot of problems with this. And I see a lot of this stuff. You know, Big Worm from uh, Friday, he came out and, you know, he was on an interview and said, Hey, if Black Americans receive cash for reparations, we would spend it overnight, right? That's a popular theme. But, you know, a lot of smart people have, Kind of spoken to that stereotype or that expectation, that negative expectation that, you know, if black people came into some money, we would do something really stupid with the reparations. We have a negative expectation of the black population. And Big Worm is not scientific in that broad brush where he thinks everybody's going to go buy Jordans and gold chains and smoke drugs. That's not scientific. You know, he's not thinking about the portion of the society that own homes. You know, he's not thinking about he's magnifying the negative and painting a broad brush like the police. And I think that Slim Thug is thinking like the police and racial profiling here, too. And so the first thing I want to do is. Give him props in terms of his business model. He was one of the first artists who started selling his own music. He's owned it. He's pushing it to the record stores. So he's doing everything right. And he's saying, I don't have to sell a million records. You know, I never sold a million records and I'm I'm financially good. The also with Slim Thug, he's been diversifying into real estate. He has a construction company. So he's doing a lot of things right for his particular. Business model. But it's unfair for Slim Thug who pursued hey, I don't want to be a Kanye. I don't want to be a Jay Z. I don't want to be kind of that Dr. Dre mainstream artist. I'm fine with a smaller cut. I take smaller risks. I focus on ownership and that works out for me long term. Right. But that particular profile. Is not for every single rapper, like another rapper, they may want to do something different, do something bigger, and they're going to take more risk. And of course, they could get more reward or they can take, they may not be as good as Slim Thug, depending on how things play out, of course. So the context of this is artists during the pandemic, they couldn't tour. so. The music game, a lot of it has been destroyed, of course, with the COVID pandemic. Or during the COVID pandemic, it was kind of destroyed because I can't make even one cent for a stream on Spotify or Apple Music. I can't even make one cent on a stream. So I got a tour. So when the tour money drives up during the COVID lockdowns and everything stops, that breaks up everybody's business plan. You know, what business can just shut down and you have all these expenses, business expenses and personal and you just shut down but the expenses are still kind of coming together. So the, hey, the, my financial advisor and you know, I never thought about a pandemic lockdown was even possible, okay? So in terms of probability, I never thought like you know there everything would just shut down and I can't make money. I never thought about that. So even the financial advisor, even the banks are, you know, experts. That's not going to be in somebody's forecast in terms of the possibilities of what could happen in the United States. So the pandemic happens in artists, not just black artists, but artists are rushing for liquidity. Okay, so they're rushing for cash. Uh Chris Rock, he said that there was a major he said there was a major celebrity friend he had and he said that celebrity during the pandemic they were really going through it and you know they had to pull back. Chris Rock was was saying he had to pull back. Okay, so you know the artists you know of course they're not making big money on music anymore. Okay, you used to be able to make a decent amount of money when they sold hard records. But now that music has moved to streaming, there's no big money in streaming. So the only people are making big money are kind of a top one, less than 1% of the artists on Spotify are who are streaming on Amazon. And the Black artists are kind of in the ghetto because most of the streams Are more mainstream. It's not hip hop. It's not R and B. Okay, so the black artists are kind of like on the side in the ghetto. And the thing is, the way it works is that the people who are responsible for a certain proportion of the streams they get a percentage of the entire pot. So the black artist most likely is going to be disenfranchised in that system. So you're not going to get decent money in the streaming system. And it's not like a black or white thing. You have artists out of the UK who are going to their government because the money has dried up. It's so difficult for the artists to make money. They only, they get less than a cent per stream. The algorithms in the streaming services, they're going to show only kind of the top people. They're going to refer like the top stuff. So the system is going to cater to a few artists, just kind of the top, top artists. So a lot of artists are starving out there, you know, in the UK, in the United States, it's just the game has changed. So the context of this is there's a COVID pandemic. There's a shock, right? That impacts everybody. And so artists, they can't tour. That's where the money is. Usually I can go on tour you know 10 20 30 million but i can't tour during the pandemic that totally messes up my my business plan okay so you now have seen big artists like Justin Bieber Justin Timberlake Shakira you're talking about artists like Sting you know Bob Dylan the list is long of white artists who have who are Selling their masters and who have sold their masters. So here's a list of the white artists who have sold their masters, at least a portion of it. Steam, he cashed out of his masters at 300 million. Kenny Chesney, he sold 80% 2014 to 2017. ZZ Top, he cashed that group's cash out at 50 million. Motley Crue, they sold at 90 million. Red Hot Chili Peppers, they sold at 140 million. Shakira, she sold everything, price undisclosed. Bob Dylan sold 100%, estimated at 300 to 400 million. Neil Young sold 150 million. Stevie Nicks sold 100 million. The Killers, they sold everything up until 2020. Neil Diamond, it's estimated he sold north of 300 million. Jimmy Iovine, of course, who was involved with Deaf Row, Interscope, Dr. Dre, he sold his masters. So with these white mainstream business figures, you know, why wouldn't Slim Thug include all of these white artists who are cashing out, who are selling their masters, you know, our, is it like a one size fits all and it makes sense for everybody just to hold on to an asset forever, right? Or do we have to consider the facts and factors of each situation, the industry trends, what's going on? So, on this show, we're going to promote considering more facts and factors before we issue our judgment verdicts on people, on situations. So, here, Slim Thug is policing one side of town. You know, he's close in proximity, which is a bias. Hey, I only know about black. So I'm going to paint a broad brush and say all the black people are doing this. You know, this is like a Michael Bloomberg, NYPD stop and frisk racial polling, racial profiling, where because you see certain things are going on close to you you don't see, you're just in a little pond over here. Hip hop is just a little pond. Okay. You're not seeing what's going on in the ocean, what the mainstream people are doing. Okay. So what's impacting the mainstream, whatever industry trends, whatever downturn, whatever bear market, whatever negative things that are going on in the society, it's going to be magnified on the black part of town, in the music industry, and a lot of other industries in in the society. So Slim Thug just gets this paintbrush and he's like, we're the only people who are doing this, which is not true at all. He says, this is embarrassing. And so I'm not going to fault Slim Thug because a lot of us are indoctrinated with this negative perception about ourselves, where we may think things are a certain way because how America has developed, how America has matured and where we ended up after slavery, after Jim Crow, right? After mass incarceration. So where we ended up, it could impact a negative orientation. Not just the society looking at Black Americans, but how we look and judge ourselves. Oh, there goes the niggas doing it again. Oh, there we go doing it again. We're selling the masters. But anyone who looks underneath what the Black artists are doing, they're going to see that going on the other side of town. Right. And so he's only policing the hip hop artists for selling their their masters and another piece of bias that could be at play is Slim Thug is an exception right he's done a lot of things right for his specific model i want to be smaller i want to own my stuff i want to pull back i don't want you know a lot of lifestyle expenses and so i'm going to play it real conservative that's his model and that's smart for him right and so if that model has worked out for you as the years go by, we shouldn't get on some type of podium and start saying, you know, hey, everybody else is dumb who went a different way. Because at the end of the day, Slim Thug's way is not, for example, Jay-Z's way, okay? Where when Jay-Z started out, of course, he didn't own his masters. He had to work to get his masters back. Not for all of his albums, but some of his albums. So he didn't Jay Z didn't start off owning his masters. Kanye, who became a billionaire, he does not own the majority of his masters. And, you know, of course, he was complaining about that. But Kanye, he didn't own his masters, but he became a billionaire. Because if you notice that those artists who flirted or got over the the billionaire mark. It's not from music, right? When you look at uh, Diddy and alcohol and Sean John and media, and you know he's expanding into these other areas. You're not going to become a billionaire with just music, right? What's going to happen is you're going to take some risks with some of your cash from music, right, and parlay that into other things. You're going to diversify. Jay Z, same thing. Rock aware, alcohol. Rock nation, real estate, so he has used cash to take risk in other places to get to that billionaire status or Dr. Dre with beats right who sold his uh masters uh within the last two years so dr dre what helped him get to that billionaire market course is beats, and what's interesting is. Dr. Dre sold his master's, but he's going against the slim thug concept, right? The slim, one of his concepts that he says is you shouldn't sell anything. You shouldn't sell the asset, just hold on to it forever. But the way Dr. Dre became a billionaire, at least on paper, was selling an asset. And let's talk about that. Real fast. So Slim Thug believes that, you know, the masters are an asset and you should just hold on to it. Okay. But the company, Hypnosis, who's buying up the masters from the recording artists, they're on the London Stock Exchange. You know, they're buying up all the, the masters with Hypnosis, you know, their stock from 2022 to now it has gone down 40%. So if you want it let's say hey, you know, I'm telling all these other artists not to sell their masters, you can go and buy the number one company, you go buy the shares and ownership of the company who's buying the the masters up hypnosis. And they're on the the London Stock Exchange. So Their stock has declined 40%. If the masters are so valuable, right, you can go buy a share for 74 pounds. You know, you can open up a brokerage account and buy the stock. So if owning the masters is such a good deal, and you know, this music industry is going to be great forever, and it's going to be good and, and you know, great cash flow, then You should definitely go buy some of that stock, right? That has gone down 40% since 2022. And so, you know, it's important to understand that when these artists are selling their masters, which is an asset, that there's no guarantee that asset is going to keep increasing. Okay. And at this point, when people are making, you know, $3,500 for a million streams. Hey, man, I done great. I got a million streams in Spotify. Well, that's $3,500. Okay. So if the trends continue to go down in terms of technology and what is paid out to the artists, and of course, the more artists, the more people that can just upload music to Spotify, anybody could be their own record label now, You just go direct into Spotify. They have platforms that allow you to get in there, right? The more stuff that they put in there, it's so saturated. And you have these big companies in there, more competition, the market with the technology and the way things are trending, it doesn't have the value of the asset doesn't have to go up from here, right? So when someone says, hey, you need to hold on to that forever that could be right but it depends on different facts and factors on that person's situation you could have said hey if somebody owned blockbuster right and let's say a, a a black family owned blockbuster and you said hey you know you had an opportunity to sell blockbuster for billions but these internet trolls and these people on social media they're saying you should just hold on to the asset forever we're stupid If we would have sold Blockbuster before Netflix, right? So when someone sells an asset, they're transferring the risk to somebody else. Sure, a lot of times the person who's buying, right, could take that asset and earn a lot more. But in most cases, the buyer is not getting the value that they think. Uh, You know, there's a perception that the buyer, knows so much more than the seller, right? So if you would have sold Blockbuster and you cashed out in the billions, and then of course Netflix comes and bankrupts the company, right? If you would have sold, you would have transferred the risk to the buyer who could become a bag holder. So when the, so if you liquefy your asset and let's say hypothetically you own Blockbuster and you went to straight cash and said, hey, I'm going to take a lot of risk off off the table. You know, I was lucky. I was fortunate to go into the casino. I'm taking all my chips out the casino. Bye. You guys not getting this back. If you cashed out your ownership in Blockbuster and then Netflix comes and bankrupts the company, that's good for you. Right? And that's bad for the person who bought Blockbuster. And so that person would be a bag holder. I left you holding the bag, the buyer. So I'm not suggesting the music industry is going to end up like Blockbuster and the artists who are holding these masters are going to end up like Blockbuster. I'm not saying that, but the trend based on where the music industry was 20 years ago and where it is now, how much you can make 20 years ago off selling music and how much you can make now. The trending is not in the artist's favor and they will tell you that and possibly analysts who cover hypnosis, they could tell you that as well. What they're going to say though is the hypnosis model, the company that's, that's buying up all the masters is if they own a certain percentage of the market, they could have pricing power. They could have more monopolistic tendencies where they can make more money off the assets than the artist can because their negotiation leverage, their efficiencies within the organization of owning so much, they can make more off buying Nellie's or Lil Wayne's or Sting or Shakira's than the artist can. Okay. So we have to establish here that asset is not guaranteed to keep going up. And these transactions, the market rate is they're paying about 14 to 15 times income. So somebody could be making a million dollars a year on royalties and essentially, hey, I want to sell my master's. I may get $15 million or possibly get a 25X. I may get $25 million just give all my money now. Okay. So the the artists who are doing this, right, we have to consider that if someone says, "Hey, I'm not waiting for what plays out in the industry and after this COVID things, I need to get after this pandemic and I've seen what could possibly happen, I need to get more liquid." Right? So the black artists could say That most of my net worth is in the music industry in a declining industry. It's not a great cash flowing industry. If that's the case, I may not want all my net worth in the music industry. It's tied up, it's illiquid, and I may want to invest in other things. Okay. I may want to diversify. If I get liquid, it's not that you know, Hey, I'm going to go blow all the money. I may want to invest in other businesses, real estate stocks, or opportunities that may or may not work, but I don't want to be concentrated with the majority of my net worth in the music industry that it appears is very shaky. Right. So if that's the case, right. An artist could be smart for selling Right. I want to diversify my risk. I don't want all my risk in the music industry. I want to invest in real estate. I want to do what Diddy, Dr. Dre, and Jay Z did in terms of their investing in other stuff. I need cash to do that. Okay. I can't invest in other stuff off of these Spotify streams. I just can't do that mathematically. It's not that I'm dumb, it's just that you need cash to do these things. And you may think that, oh, you know, all these banks and, you know, all these companies are willing to put up the cash for speculative ventures for the artist, but that's not happening. Okay. So someone could want to liquefy a portion of their masters or all of their masters to be more flexible, to invest in other assets. One article out of a Rolling Stone that looked at this, they also said some Financial advisors, they could be, or they suggested that there are some tax considerations where if the artist was going to sell, sell their masters now, the tax implications would be favorable. Okay. So a financial advisor could look at this and say, Hey, you know, under Biden, the tax code is going to change. And if we get this deal in now, it could save you millions and millions of dollars, right? Because the government is going to take so much if you just let your, your master's money, your music money just drip out over the next 10, 15 years, right? So there could be a tax benefit. So, you know, other considerations, just, you know, there could be family stuff that happens, you know, people go through divorces and, you know, things in life. Pop up that are unforeseen, right? And that person, the music doesn't give you significant cash. Okay. So you would need to, like, hey, I need to sell some of my stock, right? I had a good run. I need to sell some of my shares to actually go into cash. And Slim Thug is wrong about, hey, It's really stupid to sell an asset. Why do you need to sell an asset? Because that's how capitalism works. And, you know, that flexibility in capitalism is a strength where, you know, if you have a valuable asset, you could efficiently transact and liquefy that asset. You have optionality. Okay. So people are selling. Stocks, they're selling real estate, you know, they're selling, uh, it could be crypto businesses, you know, investment banks, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, they have whole operations selling businesses. So Slim Thug is like, you know, it's not supposed to work where you sell something. So, you know, venture capital, selling something in Silicon Valley in the world of venture capital that has pretty much propelled America over the last 20, 30 years in terms of the startups and the tech world, the venture capital world. If you sell your business, that's a good thing. That's not looked at as a bad thing. Somebody, hey, I sold my business to Google. Hey, I sold my business to Amazon or Mark Cuban who sold his uh, business to Yahoo. They were the bag holder. A lot of people, they cash out. The, The business declines after someone buys it are the industry changes? They've t- they've taken the casino chips off the table already. I'm good, you know. Yes, the asset that I sold could go up a lot further, but my particular risk tolerance, I want to take chips off the table at this point. I had a good run. I've been lucky. I've been fortunate. It's time for me to take some chips off the table. So when Magic Johnson he sold a hundred. He sold 100 franchi- over 100 franchises of Starbucks, right? And it sounds like what Slim Doug is suggesting is Magic is selling out when he sells the Starbucks franchises. But back to my earlier point, Magic may have wanted to liquefy the Starbucks position so he can go into something else and I can get a better return. If I liquefy this asset that's returning X percentage, and I take a little bit more risk for something a lot bigger, there could be other opportunities. So we, we're never going to say that Bob Johnson, who sold BET, was dumb for selling BET. We're never going to say Magic Johnson, at least on this show, we're not going to say Magic Johnson is dumb for selling his Starbucks franchises because- obviously that that's how business works that they're going to transfer risk to somebody else they're going to get liquid and it's none of our business what they plan to do because the stuff that they invest in may fail you know and that doesn't mean that they're dumb because they took money out of one thing and they took some risk in another area and if that fails, that's just part of how the system works. You got to take risk for reward. And when when the luck doesn't show up, when the industry turns against you, when things don't work out, that doesn't mean after the outcome that that person made a dumb decision. That's what we call outcome bias. So my message to this slim thug thinking is stop pocket watching, you know, Master P, Nelly. Dr. Dre, you know, these artists who are selling their masters. And if you are going to criticize and police the black artists, make sure you talk about what Justin Bieber and Justin Timberlake and Shakira and Sting and all these other white artists who are cashing out for a variety of reasons. And when we're looking at this, we got to really. When we're making comparisons, this is in terms of the lifestyle like celebrities, hey, they have a big lifestyle, and you know he was right in terms of living below your means, obviously he's right on that, but this is more a category a celebrity most it's not oh this the rapper wants to live large, the celebrity wants to live large, right so j lo wants the the bentley. The Hollywood actors, they want the Beverly Hills. Denzel Washington wants the Beverly Hills mansion, right? So this is a celebrity category that we're talking about. Celebrities like to live large. It's not, you know, it shouldn't give you, because you see what's going on in the society where the celebrities have more extravagant lifestyles, but, you know, you turned it into just a, a racial attack against your own people. And it's not scientific. It's not a statistically reliable analysis. And so I know you mean well, uh, Slim Thug, in terms of your message, but you really have to be careful in terms of what are you actually saying here? Because it's one thing if the society, the police, the banks, you know, the investors. It's one thing if the society institutions expect negative from. Black. It's another thing. If the black American, him or herself expects negative, but there's no research, there's no statistical, there's no facts and factors underneath that. So essentially what you've done is you become institutionalized where you're thinking like the society perceives you, but you don't have enough information to indict these black artists as doing all this dumb stuff. They're dumb for selling their masters. So I'm going to jump back into the, the personal circumstances. This is from the Rolling Stone article. Not to venture too far down the unedifying road of musical legends, domestic concerns, but we do know the following Bob Dylan is nearly 80 years old, has had six children, and will surely be thinking about his estate planning. A lump of 400 million is far easier to divvy up than a lifetime's patchwork of publishing copyrights. Shakira, meanwhile, was embroiled in a tax evasion case in Spain in the past two years with the local government accusing her of owing owing more than 16 million in back taxes. We can't say if any of this informed these artists decision to sell their music, but it's a helpful reminder that superstars have financial administrative headaches too. So you notice how Rolling Stone is saying Shakira got all these tax problems, right? Now, if the black man or black woman has a tax problem, a lot of people are going to think, Oh, this is the nigga doing stuff, something again. Okay. So Bob Dylan, if he wants to cash out and you know, get 400 million to do for his estate planning, there's no questions asked, okay, the white artists, if they want to sell their masters and invest in something else or handle some personal stuff or whatever, some unfortunate things happen oh that's they're just being white, you know you know they just they're cool now, if a black person does the same thing, right, and because of that history, the racial profiling comes into play where you start lining up the black artists on the wall and here you go, being a nigga again. So the next subject I'm going to tackle is uh, Roland Martin. And I'm going to play the clip now where he's talking about the recent Supreme Court affirmative action ruling. Be sure to check out episode two. Affirmative action wasn't math but I'm going to play the clip. Here it goes.
2: And anybody who's listening to me right now, If you chose to vote for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton, you can kiss my black ass. (laughs) Because all of those folks who got caught up in Bernie, Bernie didn't get the nomination. And he vote for Hillary. Guess what? That's how we got today's decision. How about that? Hillary beats If Hillary be, and let me be perfectly clear, Hillary wasn't no perfect candidate. Ain't no perfect candidate. But I know she damn well was better and smarter than Trump. I know damn well she would have never appointed a Neil Gorsuch, a Brett Kavanaugh, a Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. And so, again, all y'all folk who commenting today on this decision and if you kept your sorry ass at home, and if you didn't register, and if you did vote, and you voted for Trump over Hillary, kiss my ass. You sound like the dude, uh, Latino dude, who used to clean. Uh, he used to do some, do some yard stuff or whatever. I can't remember what he did. It clipped up inside. I don't know. My wife hired. I don't know. And so, oh, he was a big ass Trumper. Oh man, he loved him some Donald Trump. Until Donald Trump started deporting that ass. And when Donald <laughs> Trump started going off on them damn immigrants and building the wall, oh, it's amazing how his tone changed on his Facebook page. And guess what? That's what we use. Hashtag, we tried to tell you. So again, if you one of those folks who complaining after the fact, just like all those white women were whining outside the Supreme Court in the Donald's decision, shut your ass up Because today is what happens when you do not vote. That's real. Go ahead.
0: So I'm going to start a quote that I came up with in 2001. The king wants to push down accountability to the peasants, make the peasants feel bad for outcomes. It's their fault. Peasants are not doing enough while the king is managing everything and making all the policy mistakes. Somehow, you know, Roland Martin, who I give a lot of credit to in terms of building his media platform after he left, you know, his relationship with uh, TV One, but he went out to do his own independent thing. And, you know, I give him a lot of props because I know that it's so difficult to build your independent platform, particularly in this environment. So first I want to give him a lot of props in terms of doing his thing for building his platform. So Roland Martin, he gets on this soapbox and it's not like it's unique to him. The first thing as part of the punch down, you know, we we talked about the slim thug uh, lining all the artists up against the wall in terms of profiling them and arresting them for something that, the other side of town, they're doing it, but they're doing it at a way bigger scale. Okay. So Roland Martin has this idea that it's the people who did not vote are people who switched over to Trump. It's their fault that, you know, MAGA Trump was elected and the affirmative action ruling in the Supreme Court. Hey, you, you hey, you didn't vote for my girl Hillary. And because you didn't vote, or you voted for Trump, we are in this situation with affirmative action. It's your fault. Okay. So the problem well he goes further and he says him and his wife hired a Latino gardener and I believe Roland Martin lives in Maryland or DC and and you know, that's going uh Democrat automatic. But somehow he says it's the Gardner's fault where the Gardner was filling Trump and voted for Trump. And then of course, you know, it's the Gardner's fault. The guy who's doing my line, it's his fault for Trump being elected in the affirmative action ruling. Now, here's the, the problem with this is Black America has been institutionalized by the democratic party. When you're institutionalized, right? You're thinking institutionally first and after a process of institutionalization, right? The institution's mind is inside of you. The institutional biases is is how the institution thinks is inside of you. So you're going to come up with conclusions that the people on the bottom, the gardener, the black grandma and Watts who has a bad knee, you know, who, who didn't come out for Hillary. Her knee was hurting. She didn't vote. It's her fault that Trump won. Although California's going Democrat anyway, on any day. So, When you're institutionalized, specifically by the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party is inside of you, the institutional, you're top down, right? You're top down. You know, you're blaming, you start with the accountability on the bottom. We lost the vote. It's the people on the bottom, the black voters, the black men who didn't do this, who didn't do that. If you think about it, Scientifically, okay, and you look at the history and how everything works. If the Democrats lose, that's not the black voters' problem. That's not if the Supreme Court goes to the Republicans, it's not the black voters who vote 80, 90% for Democrats, right? It's not, I'm not going to be looking at my own people and lining them up and profiling them. And saying it's your fault the institution lost, my institution and my Hillary, you know, it's the black people's fault who didn't show up to vote. Or it's the people who were supporting Bernie Sanders and they saw some of the cheating and the rigging going on because they were talking about, you know, these issues. They weren't excited about Hillary. It's their fault. So that's what. Joe Biden and the institutions would say, and that's what Roland Martin is saying, but it's not just Joe Biden and Roland Martin. It's the institutionalists at the top of the Democratic Party. Because if I could get people into thinking that it's the people on the bottom's fault, you know, the people who are pushing Bernie are black voters who didn't come out. If I can blame them, right? There's no questions for me. So if I can get the slave to think like the master and in the, the interest of the planta- the Democratic Party plantation, if the people are thinking like me, right, I'm running on kind of autopilot. And where I would start with why, you know Trump was elected or the factors is, let's look at it. Uh, So one is, which was very strange, Obama's FBI man, James Comey, he had a press conference right before the election. You remember that? So the Department of Justice guidelines is for the Department of Justice not to interfere in elections, particularly right before the election. So James Comey he does his thing anyway. He's confident that Obama's appointed successor, Hillary Clinton, is going to win. He's so confident that Trump doesn't have a chance. He decides to talk about the Hillary investigation and some of these questions right before the election. If MAGA was praying for, let's send me something down to help me get elected. Well, James Comey having that Press conference and raising questions about Hillary Clinton and that investigation, having somebody like that come out right before the election, that's like, man, that's an answer to the MAGA prayer. Okay. But Obama's man, the Obama supporter, he's the one who decided to have this press conference right before the election. Okay. So, but before that, Elizabeth Warren, some of the top officials. Our top leaders in the Democratic Party, such as Elizabeth Warren and Donna Brazile, they were saying there was a a meeting of the minds among some of the insiders that this thing was rigged, or cheat. There was cheating against Bernie Sanders. So Debbie Wasserman Schultz she resigned because there was an email that was leaked out where clearly the head of the dnc is supposed to be impartial okay so the politicians they want to get the head of the dnc to kind of hey they're pro my side and i got my person in there who's controlling or leading the the party and but in an election they're supposed to be neutral okay but an email was leaked where clearly you know, she is favoring Hillary Clinton. And the and it's not me. The party does not think that it was appropriate for her to have this bias as the DNC chair during the election. So she resigned. The party officials pressured her to resign. Not me or anybody else, not MAGA. The Democratic Party is saying this is not appropriate. This really taints the perception of the election process. So Debbie Wasserman Schultz was busted right for you know a pro Hillary orientation and the way a lot of people are going to look at it is this person is helping fix things in an undemocratic way against Hillary's op- opponent, strong opponent Bernie Sanders. So if you're looking at Donna Brazile passing debate questions to you know her friend Hillary Clinton before the debate and you're looking at this stuff nobody told the democratic party right to do these things are these democratic uh, party officials and leaders right where you have a per- if you have a perception that there's cheating if you lose that election and you're playing these games in terms of Cheating and the young people who are out there for the other side, your opposition they're out there in the rain and working for Bernie Sanders and they really believe in this stuff and you're doing little funny stuff where it looks like that you're cheating right that could impact your turnout no it's not the the, the black voter in Florida it's not the black voter in Ohio what is the institution doing? How did the institution spend their marketing dollars? Did the institution do enough to make black voters confident in the democratic party and Hillary Clinton? Why not start with the institution Now, when you work down the ladder, you may get, you may say that, Hey, some people at the bottom, you know, I'm going to hold them accountable. Maybe 5%, 10%, right? 20%. But the proper orientation is you're looking at who has the money, who has the big leverage, who has the resources, who's making all these top down decisions for the party and I'm going to look there first. I'm not looking at somebody on social media saying that I'm not filling, filling uh, Hillary Clinton. Another factor of why the democratic party lost is it had become very elitist. Okay. Of course, Obama came in saying that he's going to drain the swamp and there's too much special interest and all his people Are Swamped up when uh, by the time that he's out of office, all his people are swamped up. Silicon Valley is Wall Street. They're all in his administration and he's leaving with a big bag. Okay. Uh, No, none of the people who don't like Hillary Clinton. They're not responsible for the Democratic Party having a bias right to be more corrupt. To cater more to special interests, to cater to Mark Zuckerberg's people, our uh, Silicon Valley and Obama's friends at uh, Google and Alphabet, right? Nobody told the Democratic Party that they have to take on a smell that gets more and more elitist over time. So, in terms of Obama's bailouts of Wall Street and stacking, His administration with a lot of these Wall Street people, and he has like an elite orientation, right? There could be a cost to that. Right. If the character of the Democratic Party becomes more and more elitist and away from the average voter, right? If you lose, these are just decisions that were made by the, by the institution and the leaders and people who possibly wanted to make more money or protect their. Careers, protect their networks, protect their lobbyist friends, set themselves up after the election's over. You know, they have whole business plans in terms of how things are going to play out for the next 10, 20 years. Of course, Trump came and busted that stuff up. So it is the decisions of the big institution, right, that should be driving who's to blame. Or who do we hold accountable for the election result? So, you know, is this similar to the slim thug punching down? Yes, it is. Because Roland Martin, if he wants to blame somebody for Trump winning, he needs to look at the party's officials. How have they been? Running that Democratic Party business, right? You know how like CEOs get fired or certain executives get fired? You're not producing the results. You're not producing the numbers. You're not producing the money. Well, the CEO or the executives responsible for that department at the top, they're going to get fired. They're going to get their walking papers. So instead of saying, hey, Hillary chose to run her campaign like this. The Democratic Party chose to rig the primary in favor of another Clinton. And so one factor why I believe the Democrats lost uh, against MAGA is the country at the time had Clinton Bush fatigue. So the Democratic Party is talking about all this, we're for the average person, we're for the worker, you know, we're for the people on the bottom, we're for the poor. You know they say all this stuff, we're for diversity, you know, we're really about civil rights. So they're saying all this stuff, but a lot of people are saying, why would there be two Clintons as president and two Bushes in a democratic system? Okay, why are these two families concentrated in the presidency like that? What's going on where Bill and his wife? If she was elected, their president, and then the two Bushes, the father and son, uh, you don't have other people on the outside of this elite circle. You don't have strong candidates on the outside. And so one of the dominant factors, a dominant factor of why Hillary Clinton lost is Clinton Bush fatigue. It's just a, a very bad setup. When you're saying that Bush won, Bush two, Clinton won, Clinton two, and Obama, it seems like has made a deal with Hillary Clinton that he's going to, hey, I beat you in, the, in my election on the first round or the first term, and I'm going to help you get come into my administration. We're going to work out a deal, and I'm going to set this thing up. And put this on a tee for you. And then, of course, Trump comes and busts this stuff up. But it's not just Trump, right? What decisions were made by this institution with so much power? The Democratic Party is not powerless. They have big budgets, billions of dollars in terms of donors and the people in back and in front of the party. This is a big, big power base. Right. So why not when you're lining people up in terms of who to blame, why not start with the CEO and the executive team of the Democratic Party? What did they do and what didn't they do? Did they get something very wrong with their engagement with the black American voter? Okay, where they're relying more on spook or symbolism, and Obama's black and the first family's black. So that's all, you know, hey, you should, you should be happy with that. You know, like Jay Z, he said, just my existence, you should just be happy with that. You know, when people were uh, questioning him, you, you, know, you niggas should just be happy. Look how I made it out. And the Democratic Party, they played up that y'all niggas should just be happy that you can see a black family in the White House. And if that spook was overplayed, where the people who are looking into the detail and the terms of the political contract, and what am I actually getting materially? Let's take all the spook out, the feel good and what things look like on the surface. The people who are looking into the detail in terms of Hey, we're doing all this voting for you people, for your party. What are we actually getting, right? Based on the decisions and the risk taking that was made or not made, I want to support a politician or a political leader who's going to take risk for my interest. That's me. Okay. I need to see a leader who's willing to take risk for the interests of black Americans. That's what I would be looking for. It's not, of course, just about that, but that's what I'm going to be looking for me personally. And so there's other people out there who are not going to see somebody is speaking up for me. Somebody is being bold for me. Somebody is stepping in the paint for me. Okay. So if they don't see that in People are more sophisticated than a lot of these people give credit to is we know that the system is very challenging in terms of to get something accomplished. We know that, right? It's not like you just do whatever you want. And so we already know about how challenging it is to change Little things in the system, right? So, but the thing is, when people start looking at the different facts and factors, they don't even, they may not even believe that you care about their interests. They don't even see you trying enough, okay? And if people don't believe that you're really in the paint for them in the issues that they care about, you can't just expect you're going to get their vote for the rest of their life that they're just going to be going out and voting you know just because you're a lesser evil it's the democratic party's job to make sure that the voters believe that hey you're really i can really trust you to go in the paint and take some risk for my Interest. And so, you know, the title of this episode is Punching Down. In the Collins Dictionary, to punch down means to attack or criticize someone in a less powerful position. And, you know, one of the things that's important, you shouldn't be punching down, period. But if you're going to do it, particularly to people who share your lineage, If you're going to talk or direct this to black Americans, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to the people to make sure you have your factors and facts together, facts and factors together before you come at us in a negative way. with a negative expectation where you get that that police profiling, that broad brush before you come. With a negative orientation, a negative expectation about your own people, the minimum you can do is make sure you consider industry factors, macroeconomic factors, institutional factors. You got to do your homework before you go thinking like the police and lining our people up. Peace.